Hi, and welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast. My name is Mark Roost, and this is the place to be if you're curious to explore the question of what it means to live a purposeful life. Now, before we dive into today's exclusive interview, there's a few things I wanted to share with you. Now, as you know, if you're a regular on the show, the very first thing I love sharing with you are the current leaderboards of the countries listening to this episode and to this podcast, to the show around the world. In a number one position, United Kingdom, holding strong the fort, followed closely by United States, Australia, fourth Ireland, fifth South Africa, sixth Sweden, seventh Portugal, eighth Kenya, ninth Brazil, tenth Russia, and the runner-ups are Hong Kong, France, and Nicaragua, which is so cool. And we're, we're just getting to this point in time where we are episode 60. Can you imagine? This is episode number 60. Little did I know that two years ago when I, when I started The Unconventionalist that this would go as far and wide as it has. And, you know, we've been listening to 102 cities across 29 countries around the world. So you matter. And I want to say thank you so much for all the work that you do to spread this podcast with your friends, with your families, with your colleagues, with your peers. I'm just really grateful and appreciate it. A few really cool things have happened lately. And one of them is that on Monday, I was invited by General Assembly to be part of a of a panel to talk about the podcast revolution. Now, on that panel, there were some really amazing people. Um, Emma Gannon, who's the author and podcast host of Control-Alt-Delete. Kobe Omeneka, who's also the host of FlixWatcher podcast, which I'm going to be invited on. And I'm really looking forward to that. I basically have to pick a Netflix movie or documentary. And then we all go on the show and we discuss about it or bitch about it, depending on where you sit on the side of the table. And then there were also Imriel Morgan and Saitama Cienfuegos, who are the founders of the Shoutout Network and co-host of Melanin Millennials. We've got a, a really big following and, and I've heard nothing but good stuff about them. So it was just really exciting to be amongst these other podcasters because I'll be honest, I haven't actually met that many podcasters who do this almost full time or at least regularly for a few years. So it was really refreshing to hear sort of what they've been going through, what kind of strategies they've had to sort of grow their podcast, communicate with their audience, grow their communities. And I think Emma was the only one in the whole panel who was actually making genuine money from a podcast. So that was really interesting to kind of see, ah, there's actually ways to monetize a podcast, get sponsors on and so forth. So that was really interesting. The other thing is Virgin Media Pioneers asked me to record a vlog. You know, they're trying to support communities who are out there trying to do a difference and build business. And I mean, I told them straight up that, you know, especially if you've been around on the show for a while, that I'm just honest about what this journey is really like. So I told them I wanted to do something a little bit funny, a little bit cringeworthy, that we all can go, yeah, that that's totally me. And, and that was to talk about the glorification of the word busyness. So if you go and check it out, it's actually currently on the homepage of Virgin Media Pioneers as apparently the things not to miss the unmissable things this week, which felt kind of funny. Uh, but in there, I also mentioned some of the communities that you can go and check out, like Boomcast, uh, Escape the City, General Assembly, Dent, Global. These are all communities that help out people to sort of on their journey of on their entrepreneurial journey. So go and check them out. So that was really cool to be featured on there. And I also was uh, featured in a, a newspaper. I think it's the Welsh Business News uh, of my upcoming TED Talk that was being announced and it was online. And you can go and check that out. It's been quite exciting to get a few tweets from people who've connected on me via that. Um, and I've also uh, just answered some question for Buzz Magazine, which was amazing and really got my um, sort of creative juices flowing for my TED, TEDx talk up in April. Um, and I'll talk a bit more about that specific article in a second. The other thing I want to mention about is 
I don't know if you heard, but Chris Gillibo, the New York Times bestselling author of four books, is coming to London. And I've been asked to host the event, which is super exciting. And you can actually get a 20% discount on your ticket by using the word unconventional when you check out. I just thought I wanted to do something for our community and I asked the organizers and they gave us a 20% discount for being part of this community. So that's pretty cool. If you want to get a a ticket, it's on the 6th of March, kicks off at 6 or 6.30, I think. And it's at worldescapeday.com. Go on London, find the ticket. And when you check out, use the word unconventional in capital letters and you'll get your 20% discount. Now, the really big thing I actually wanted to announce was this, this um, fascinating thing that's happened recently. So back in November 2016, I went over to an event that was organized by the School of Life in collaboration with Richard Reed, who's the founder of, well, one of the co-founders of Innocent Drinks. The event was called If I Could Give You One Piece of Advice, I think. And it was intended to primarily promote Richard Reed's new book, but all the all the funds were going back to charity. And there was like 800 people. I mean, it was just huge. The audience was pretty massive. And I actually did something quite funny, and if you want to find out what that was, you can go over and check out uh, my vlog that I did <laughs> on that, after that um, event, and you can find if you over on YouTube, or you can go over on the show notes of this episode, which I believe are markjuice.com forward slash episode forward slash 60. If When in doubt, just go to markjuice.com forward slash podcast. And I actually asked Richard Reed at the end, uh, what, what would be his number one advice for someone who's kind of getting started and and who's kind of struggling of, of getting that critical uh, growth to get the movement out. And he said, build a team. Get a team who are, you know, connected to this mission that you're on to and, and, and focus your time on that. And I remember going like, wow, that, that is so true. You know, being a one-man band is tough. And actually, if you look at the 5.5 million businesses in the UK, 96% of those are what we'd consider micro-businesses, so from zero to nine employees. But if you dig deeper, you actually find that 76% of all business in the UK are run by people on their own with zero employees. So this idea that we're actually running this show on our own, this one-man band concept of the solo entrepreneurs, 76% of us, that's three-quarters of all business in the UK, are just one-man bands or one-woman band in, in, in this occasion. And so... I came out with the intention that 2017, I, I just, I don't want to do this on my own anymore. It was just, it's not about me. It's about this movement, about the unconventionalist movement. And so that was the intention I came in, in 2017. And in January 31st, 2017, I gave a talk at Work.Life in Camden on how to start a movement. And the most amazing thing happened. Some people in that room <laughs> accidentally arrived in that room and they thought it was a different event. Um, and some of the people took other people's tickets. And anyway, it was a great event. Um, I'll probably try and post some some snips, some snippets of it at some point, maybe in even the origin story, part two or three. And as a result of that event, we then went out for a drink at the pub nearby, and a few of the participants came and we had a chat. And out of that chat, out of that meeting, and out of that talk, two people actually came up to me and were like, "How can we get involved?" Like independently, they were like, "How can, how can I get involved?" You know about this movement, and and so. I met up with him for a coffee, again, independently, and I was asking, like, what is it about the unconventionalists? What is it about me that you wanted to come and join and or get, get involved with it? And there was something about being honest and vulnerability and, and just being real and sharing. And and so, Steph and Ben have come on board of the unconventionalists and are, are going to be helping out. And it's just been amazing to get the help of other people, getting ideas um, and actually Today's blog post and show notes was entirely written 
by Steph, who who stepped up and took the challenge on on really short notice to listen to this episode, make some notes, write a blog post. And it's been amazing. And, and Ben's helping also with some strategy around how we're going to make sure this builds into a real movement with a community who are going to get behind and we're going to be able to serve you and help you and and give as many as much value as we can, whether that's through this free content online or whether it's through in-person workshops and so forth. So we're really excited about what's coming. And I've just got to say that it's just, it's a total different feeling to know that there are other people out there who also care about this cause that you're trying to put out and that it doesn't just have to be about you and it doesn't have to rely just on you. So it's just amazing. And I'm actually speaking with someone else on Friday who wants to join as well and be in conversation with other people who, who want to get involved as well. So it seems like there's this little movement that's picking up, you know, that's like kind of getting some momentum. So I'm super grateful for that. So that was like a long introduction to today's episode. I get it longer than usual. I think it's because there's so much, so many exciting things happening at the moment. And I just want to share with you the, the, high, the behind the curtains of what's really going on. And I think a lot of you reached out saying that you enjoyed the startup confession round. And I'll do a little more of those coming up because it's just this real raw, fresh behind the scenes of what really happens, you know. And I'm actually looking forward to, to that. And also, I've got some good news. Episode two of The Origin Story should be coming out in the next few weeks. I finally got that one piece of content I've been waiting for months to get. That's how like completely insane I am about getting this, this great content out to you. But it should be exciting and it should be coming out soon. Okay, so today's guest is Michael Serwer. Now, if you don't know who Michael Serwer is, he's basically the life coach for the elite. And he's based in London. And according to Michael... He is the highest paid one-to-one life coach in the UK. Now, the interesting thing about Michael is that actually, I met Michael back in 2012 at an event with Tim Ferriss. And actually, if you if you ever saw my photo of me and Tim Ferriss, Michael was the one that took it. I was in the queue and I just grabbed Michael. I was like, Michael, take this camera, take a photo of me as soon as I get next to Tim. And he took a photo. That photo is from Michael. And then we bumped into each other again a couple of weeks later when I was giving a talk at an event that one of our friends in common was running. And... Since then, I've kind of followed Michael. We kind of kept in touch. We kind of met up and and I s- saw him and I met him when he was just starting off charging like 20 pounds an hour. And over the last four and a half years, I want to say five years that I've seen his journey, he's just reached for the roof and reached for the sky. And, and it's just had this phenomenal growth and, and success story. And I think a lot of people can see Michael and don't get me wrong, if you if you know Michael, if you've been around Michael, you know, he can polarize. Some people can can totally be put off by his his really confident vibe, and some other people can really feel attracted to that and really want a piece of that. And I think that's why he's been so successful, is that he's been standing in his own power and his own ground and in, in his own kind of attitude. And actually, we talk about that, about how the fact that he had an attitude was what made him successful. And there's so many golden nuggets. And what I loved about today's episode is that we actually share, like Michael shared some foldable stories and opens up about some of the things that he may not have been used to opening up about in other episodes or other shows or online and so forth. So you're going to get an exclusive insight into who Michael really is. Because I've, I've seen Michael from, from almost day one and I've seen him grow. And it's just been an amazing uh, part of the journey to witness his his growth and his ascent um, to become UK's most paid, the, the highest paid life coach in the UK. So as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends. Let us know what was the golden nugget that you took out. And actually, Steph took the time to pull out some of her favorite quotes from today's episode, and we put them all on the show notes. So go over on marklews.com forward slash podcast, the tweetables, the quotes, all the golden juice, and the show notes, and the links, and all the blogs, and references, and resources that we talk about, they're all online. So you just got to go to marklews.com forward slash podcast, find episode number 60, and you've got it all there. 
Steph absolutely smashed it out. But that's enough for me. I give you Michael Sower. So, Michael, for, for people who don't uh, know you, who, who, how dare they? How dare they don't know you? I, I'll be really surprised if there's anybody alive who doesn't know me. Who, when someone asks you what do you do, what do you say? I do high-end life coaching. I'm the coach for the elite. So what, what does that mean? What does that like? So if someone's like, oh, like the elite coaching, like you mean like famous people or, or executives? See, or? Yeah, so, you know, I wouldn't blame anyone to think that when I say elite, uh, I'm talking about financial elite, but that's not always mm. the case. Um, yes, some of my clients are extremely successful financially, but for me, elite is uh, anyone who thinks in a certain way. It's more about the attitude than it is about bank balance. Yeah. Um, you know, and the fact that some of my clients are in the 20s, you know, unless you are rich, uh, sorry, born into a rich family, if you're in your 20s, you won't be financially uh, successful yet because you just didn't have enough time. Unless you, you know, you developed uh, a very successful app, <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah, like I said, some of my clients are in the 20s, um, but they have a, you know, they have a certain attitude towards life. They mm. decided they want to be the best at something. They, yeah. they decided they want to be the top of the game. Uh, so for me, that's elite. And then I have clients in the 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way to the 60s. Um, and, you know, demographically speaking, they're from different backgrounds. They're very different. Um, in terms of profession, they're very different as well. But they all have something in common. They have many things in common. But one of them is a certain attitude towards life and what's possible in life. And sure. and how they want to make mark, you know, in, in, in life and leave some legacy often as well. Yeah, love that. But you haven't, you weren't always a coach. So you, you um, when you first arrived in London, coaching wasn't the thing you were doing. No, I didn't know what coaching was. Um, came to London at 22 and on, uh, at, at 20, 20, 2012? At or? 22. Ah. At 22, uh, 22 which sorry, was yeah. uh, 2005. Then at 23, I discovered uh, personal development. So mm -hmm. I always had an interest in, in psychology and people. But only at 23, I discovered personal development and only at 27, I discovered coaching as the profession, mm. um, you know, and, and I dedicated my life to it. So, yeah, that was after a few years of being in London working as a, as a retail manager. Yeah. So fas fashion, fashion retail was my first industry, uh, my past life. I had a successful career there, but it was an example of, of winning in the wrong game. So I was winning, <laughs> but it wasn't my fucking game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but so, so. Uh, do, do you remember the very first thing that you came across in coaching? Do you remember, was it a book? Was it a video? Was it, it, it a was, seminar? It was uh, Tony Robbins' video. So I was watching Tony Robbins before and listening mm. to his stuff. Um, but there was something on that particular day. It was the morning. I was in my bed um, on my day off uh, with my laptop on my lap. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing Michael <laughs> and believe it or not I was watching personal development <laughs> videos <laughs> whatever whatever gets you off me <laughs> um, and you know it happened to be Tony Robbins and I don't remember him saying anything in particular that really got me excited it was just this this realization that I had wow I could be doing this mm. so not necessarily speaking I've done lots of speaking as you yeah. know but it's never been my main thing um, it's like wow, I want to be a coach. Is it because of how you felt when you were listening to him? Like, I want to have that same impact on other people? Yeah, it's definitely something to do with the impact he was making. And, and you know, and like I said, I was already into personal development for, for four years prior mm. to that. And it was certainly my biggest passion, my only passion at the time. 
So it just made sense for me to convert that passion into career. Yeah. Which is exactly what I did. And, and the emphasis was always coaching, one-to-one coaching. i uh, never been that interested in working with groups. I've never been interested in working in corporate environment, mm. um, doing any kind of training uh, or stuff like that. You know, I've done lots of speaking, but it's never been my interest as such. Sure. I've done lots of writing as well as you know, but it's never been my interest. So... All the other activities were there to support my coaching business, yeah. really, my, I, my, my coaching practice. And I remember the very first time we met, and I, and I always get confused. I don't know if we first met at the Tim Ferriss event, or if we met at JP's event that we both talked at. Tim Ferriss. Okay. Was it the Tim Ferriss, the first time yeah, we yeah. met? Yeah, okay. Um, and so we then uh, were both speaking at JP's event mm-hmm. uh, in London, and I remember… How lucky of him, huh? I <laughs> know, right? Not just have you or me, but both <laughs> of us. Damn. That's when we were cheap, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, uh, and I and I remember, like, when we when we first kind of met. This is what 2012. This is like four years ago or something. Like that. And I remember because you were kind of 2012. Yeah, I mean, you hadn't been in the game for that long in terms of coaching. You know, yeah, you you organized a whole bunch of meetups and you'd spoken a lot. But I remember. I remember that you used to charge like really small, like like you like twenty like, pounds per session. Yeah, that was it, twenty pounds per session. And I remember we had, we met up in a park, and still to this day, mate, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but one of my sort of peak moments of like imagining a perfect day, like a few years ago when uh-huh. I did that, it was one of those days where I woke up, I went over to interview Daniel Terry, who was a Muay Thai fighter at yeah, the time, yeah. and yeah. then you invite, and then we I was supposed to meet up for you for lunch, and I forgot my wallet. And I said to you, Michael, do you mind inviting me for lunch? And you were like, yeah, sure, come over. And we had like some dim sums at a Chinese place with a bunch of, of, of people. And then we went out to a park next to Angel. Yes, yes. And you yeah. were like, dude, you've got to get into coaching full time. What are you doing? Like, how many clients do you need to do this full time? What are you doing wasting your time working? Do you, do you remember that? I remember yeah. us being on, gra- on yeah. the grass in yeah, yeah, Angel. Yeah. I remember. The I don't last remember time this Michael ever sat down on grass. But it definitely sounds like something I could say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> but I remember that. And and I just saw your kind of rise. You know, it was just this incredible thing of seeing you going from mm. 20 pounds an hour, hustling and really putting out the grind out there because you were taking on so many clients, you know. Yeah. Um, anybody, is, anybody. I wouldn't say no to any fucker willing to pay 20 pounds. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then there was a point where you wrote and published a book mm-hmm. from Good to Amazing and I was one of the first people to read it and I gave you a few notes. Do you, do you remember That's some of the true. notes? Yeah, yeah. I asked uh, 10 people, 10 people I trusted the most and you were one of them. Yeah. And uh, and yes, you, you you did leave a bunch of comments which I still hate you for. Uh, <laughs> and I've actually got, I think I've got, um, I, I need to look at the video that you did of your book launch and uh-huh. you actually said, is Mark in the room? I was like, yeah. He's like, Mark said, I sound like a dick sometimes. I yeah, that's right. Time. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because there's a side of, and this is the thing, I think there's a side of you that uh, people might not know and might not have seen, which is the, um, the softer side, the kind of the more... No, that's all rumors. No, don't, don't yeah. spread things like well, that. Well, it's the same thing that you like. You, you, wasn't it a vegan dish that you ordered at Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, event in London? I've got, I've got it on camera where you ordered a vegetarian dish, so your secret is no longer safe with us. Oh, shit. Um, but you, and when you were a kid, you wanted to be a musician. Yeah, when I was... Um when I was 16, I really got into jazz. I still love jazz. Mm. Um, and actually, a, a being a trumpet player, jazz trumpet player, to be specific, was the only thing I ever wanted as badly as I wanted to become a coach and the best at what I do. The difference is, I discovered within a year that there was a, a, a physical a difficulty in me ever becoming the best trumpet player. 
Is that and, what because and, the lips or something? It's to do with how my muscles around my lips are built. So when I realized that I cannot be the best and I got that confirmed, so not only I got sacked from my music school I was in, which is one thing, and then I went to the best trumpet player in the world at the That's time. That's the story I love. In your book, that I think is one I of my favorite stories, yeah. is when... And I think that's what I'm talking about. There's this side of you that I remember reading that book going, wow, I so did not expect that from you. Yeah. And this thing about like, so tell a bit more about the story because I know listeners are going to love this. It's about, yeah, there's sure. this amazing jazz player in Poland. Yeah, the best. So, so, so you know, it's a long story, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a synopsis. So I fell in love with jazz. Um, you know, I was playing some guitar at the time and, you know, I was always musical. I always liked music and, and I have reasonably good like music ear. Um, and there was a period when I was choosing the, the the instrument. So I knew I wanted to be a jazz musician and I was I was deciding how I'm gonna express myself through which medium, which platform, right? Which instrument. And I was toying between uh, drums and trumpet. I chose trumpet. I went to the music school. It wasn't a jazz school. There was no jazz school in, in, in my city in Poland at the time. So I'm, I'm 16, 17 at the time, right? And I went to this music school uh, you know, trumpet, I was playing for a year and then the final exam was approaching. I was experiencing some difficulties before. Sure. Not when I was being stoned and playing with friends in the basement, <laughs> uh, but when I was actually in front of the teacher and yeah. I was going through some classical, it was a classical music uh, school. I was going through some classical pieces and, and I experienced, um, before this final exam already, I experienced some difficulties in terms of reaching the high pitch tone, high, mm. high pitch tone, right? Yeah. And when you think about instruments like trumpet or saxophone, clarinet, the magic happens on the high end okay. of the of the of the pitch, right? When you go, you know, that's yeah. where the magic happens. Not when you go like low. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I struggle with those with those uh, notes at the, at the high end. Um. You know, if you look at my coaching career, you know, I like high end. <laughs> I've just thought about it now. <laughs> so there's always the tendency you always like to, to go, go to the pitch, high. The high yeah, pitch. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I was preparing for this exam and I was nervous because it was really fucking important to me. Was, there was nothing. I had no girlfriend at the time, no friends. All friends, were, all friends were musicians at the time, you know. So that was my thing. I wanted to be the best jazz trumpet player mm. in the world. I wanted to be fucking white Miles Davis. Mm. And here is this first exam on Michael the first. Davis. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's the first exam approaching. There's a six-year school, and it's not good. I'm rehearsing, and it's not good. Sometimes I hit this one particular note in the piece, and sometimes I don't. Exam came. The day of the exam came. I went there, and I fucking blew it. Hmm. And it was this. I, I, I will never forget. Um, you know, I'm 17. There's these three guys wearing suits, you know. I said, Michael, would you mind to leave us, give us a minute? And I left the room mm. and my heart is just fucking pounding like this. It's just like my, my whole life. This is my whole life. There's nothing else I care about. Just this trumpet. And uh, they called me in. And you know when you enter the room and you just feel it's not going to be good news because you could, <laughs> you could, you could cut the fucking tension with a knife, right? Yeah. There's all three of them. Not, not, none of them wants to speak up. Yeah. And there was my trumpet professor. There was a, like, a, you know, kind of some department professor sure. and, and the director of the school, whatever, three of them. And I'm standing there waiting, like, like waiting for a prison sentence, you know? And then, you know, all of them heads down, all of them like this. 
because they knew I was the kid who wanted it mm, more than most, anybody yeah. else, right? Oh. When, oh. I when I look back, that's... What, 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 it was an exam to, for what, by the way? It was to get, yeah, to get to, into to the, the next year, like, like a final exam, ah. you know, trumpet, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like some piece, you know, two sure. pages, classical piece, and, you know, and based on this exam, you either go to the next year or you don't, okay. right? So I knew what, there was a lot, of st a lot at stake. There was the only school as well in my, in my city. And finally, my trumpet professor spoke up and he said, uh, you know, we, we're really sorry, but uh, um, that wasn't good enough. And I just feel like I'm about to fucking cry. Hmm. But I'm like, I'm not crying in front of those dudes, you know. I'm going to go back in the toilet yeah, and cry alone. Yeah, and that's exactly what I did. Yeah. I was like, okay, I left the room. I went to the toilet and I just fucking cried like a baby. Yeah. But, you know, I cried and then I was like, okay, so... so you know, when I think about my, my personality, my character, so, you know, there is this soft side, yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to fucking admit it, fine. You know, so I cried, but then immediately I went into solution-making mode. Mm. I said, okay, so this guy said I'm not good enough, basically. Okay, who is the best trumpet player in the world? I'm going to go and meet them. <laughs> and I'll let him tell me. Exactly. Yeah. If they tell me the same thing, I will yeah. never touch the trumpet again. Okay. If they tell me there is hope, I will fucking pursue it. So, you know, at the time, at the time, so we're talking about year 2000. At the t I don't know now, I don't follow it as closely, but at the time, the best trumpet player alive since Miles Davis died in 1991 was a, a Polish guy called Tomasz Steinko, who's a big freaking star in Poland as an artist. I don't know how, because that was before internet. I, I found his details, his address in Warsaw, which is not the city I'm from. And anyway, long story short, uh, you know, I kept calling. He wouldn't answer. Say, you know, fuck it. I'm going. I'm going to his house. If he's not there, I'm gonna wait. Was a did a friend come with you? Yeah, a yeah. friend who was playing double bass. <laughs> and he had this 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 big blonde hair. You know, and we were playing on the street often. You know, and we had a great <laughs> team. You know. He didn't say anything. So I was doing the talking. I was doing trying. He was just like <laughs> playing boom, this boom, double boom, exactly. Boom, yeah. Yeah, he was perfect for it. So it's like, Michael, I'm gonna go with you. I said, listen. I don't know how long we go. I'm going there for because I don't even know if he's in the country because yeah. he travels a lot. It sure. doesn't matter. We went there, long story short, eight hours on the train, whatever. We get off uh, Warsaw Central Station and I'm with the suitcase and this guy with this hair with a fucking <laughs> double bass on his back <laughs> and we just walk towards that flat, you know, and we, got, we get to this apartment building. It's a beautiful apartment building after like half an hour walk from the station and sure enough, you know, I press the buzzer no answer and we just sat there and there's our neighbor and it's like you guys okay yeah i'm waiting for thomas steinko I, I came to see thomas steinko like, but he might not be home i said yeah i know that's fine you know, <laughs> you know it was fortunate in a way that it was a summer okay so it wasn't cold so we're just waiting i'm just we're just waiting you know he doesn't say anything because fucking doesn't say anything <laughs> ever and we're just like no mobile phones i couldn't go on facebook sure. you know so it's just like hanging out just you know just waiting and i thought let me call him again because I saw like a phone booth. I called him. So he didn't respond to the buzzer. I called him on the phone and he answered. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, first of all, yay, because he's in the house. Yeah. You know? Second of all, Orlando, okay, was Orlando, I've been trying right? to ring on your doorbell. And you yeah, went. yeah. And I told him the whole story like in five minutes, you know, with this passion, with this, you know, excitement of a, ch of a kid, right? How old, I was how old are you? 17. 17. So I'm 17. Yeah. And he's like, okay, just, 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 just come. And he thought I was calling from my city, which is eight hour by train. Sure. I'm like, yeah, I see you in two minutes. And he's like, what do you mean two minutes? I'm like, I'm in front of your fucking house without fucking. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, so yeah, okay, so 
the, the bass player, Matt, he stayed downstairs and I just climbed up the stairs, five, five stories or six stories, whatever. He opens the door and it's, my freaking, it's the legend in front of me, you mm. know? You know, the biggest artist in Poland. And so, okay, long story short, okay, play the sound. I took, I took, I opened my suitcase and it's like, doof, doof. like my heart is just like this, you know, this, a deciding moment. And I got the trumpet, I played like a sound, and he said, forget about it. <laughs> like that. Just like that. Just like that. <laughs> just like, just like, play a long sound. <laughs> forget about it. Wow. Because I told him what the teacher said, and so yeah. I said, there, there is the problem. And here's what I asked him at 17. I said, hey, listen, do you think I could get a plastic surgery so I could fix that problem? You know, And I was, it was a genuine question, and he looked at me like I was crazy. I said, listen, are you crazy? What surgeon would know what the right... No, like, nobody sure. knows. There's no studies about that. Yeah, it's just yeah. like some people have it, some people don't have it. It's a very unusual yeah. fault that I had, a problem that I had. And you see, I didn't understand for many years why I couldn't play the trumpet because that was the very last sound I've ever played because mm. that was the deal I made with myself. You ne you've never touched no. a trumpet since? No. I closed the suitcase. It wasn't my trumpet. I couldn't afford it. I, I gave it back to the music school and that was the, that was the very last time I touched the trumpet and played the sound, right? So I was heartbroken, but in the same time, you know, even though I didn't know what personal development was at the time, there was some there was some confidence I had in, in the fact that everything happens for a reason, mm. you know, that I wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to kill myself now. Sure. I was just like, I just felt like, like someone I really fucking loved left me. Yeah. You know, so I, I felt broken, mm. but, you know, but I, I believe that it happens for a reason. And now it took me many years to understand why I couldn't play trumpet. Because mm. when I discovered coaching and I felt again the same level of, of passion and, mm. and alignment with yeah. purpose, whatever, you know, using a, a personal development jargon. <laughs> I looked back, so interestingly enough, trumpet happened at 17 and I discovered coaching at 27. Yeah. So exactly 10 years. I looked back, even the, the time of the year was the same anyway. I looked back and said, that's why I couldn't play trumpet. Mm. You know, because for me, it was very simple. Because even teachers at school say, hey, listen, you, you could continue playing and you, you're going to be fine. I said, sure. listen, I'm not interested in fine. fine. Yeah, yeah? I, I, want to be, I want it to be the best. And I didn't want to play the game. I knew I couldn't win. Winning being being the best trumpet player. Do you think there was added pressure on yourself, the fact that you'd left school and that you dropped out of school and you were like, I'm going to go all in on this music? Do you think there was that added pressure, especially with your family and friends? Because maybe people don't relate to this yeah. who are not from Poland, but education it's in massive. Poland is so important. Like No one drops out, ever. Mm. Unless you're a total fucking moron and you just don't have enough IQ to graduate. Yeah. That's the only time when you quit school. Yeah, Or but if you're Michael Sowa. Or if you Michael Sarah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it, it, you know, it's it's. Um, I'm thinking about the timeline, but I quit. I think I quit. Yeah, I quit school a few months before. Sure. Uh, the the kind of regular school. Sure. So I was only going to music school. Yeah. And then, they sacked me from the music school, yeah. and I was left with nothing. You know, and then from the age of 17 and 22, all sorts of things, trying to make money and sure. et cetera. Still, you know, very much interested in art for many years until I discovered ecstasy pill and I, and I moved from <laughs> interest in art to interest <laughs> to in drugs. To hallucinations. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, and, and how, how did London come on the map then? Um, you see, if you're very ambitious, 
in Poland, if you're really fucking ambitious in Poland, you're going to think about a bigger playground. It, it just came naturally. You know, I wanted, I wanted to p play a bigger game and I wanted to be very successful. Again, I didn't know what I wanted to be successful in, but I, I knew it coming to London at 22. So that nothing. drive. That, that, I had yeah. this fucking hunger. I had no money to my name. I had not, not a penny <coughs> to my name, but I had this hunger. And I came here with so much attitude. You know, I could barely speak English. My English was very basic. And, you know, the only reason I could come here because I had friends who were kind enough to share the squad with us, mm. me and my, my girlfriend at the time. So we came and the four of us in a small room, you know. So there was no money, very basic English, no contacts apart from those guys, uh, which were there themselves or here themselves for, for like less than a year, I think. Mm. But there was this determination, there was this hunger and, and you know, and I just found a job. In, I wasn't picky. You know, I'm picky with where I go and who I work with, etc. But at the time, like, you know, even as a coach, like I said, I would work with anybody at sure. the time. So I wasn't like, ooh, this shop is not good enough for me. Oh, I'm not going to work in this part because I don't like the, the level of, you know, how how clean the toilets. I was just like, I printed off um, hundred or 200 of CVs. I don't remember. I got a bus from Southeast London. I used to live in, not far from Peckham, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I took a bus from there to Covent Garden because somebody gave me this tip. So I said, listen, print off CVs, forget about job centers, which is what we what we did uh, sure. for the first few weeks and that wasn't successful. Forget about job centers, print off CVs, go to Covent Garden, go from one place to another. That's what we did. I was just going from, I wasn't even looking at what the place is. <laughs> Ooh, looks like there's some business here. Sex dungeon. It, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter. It didn't. And it just happened at one of the shops. You know, I had an interview the next day and, I started my fashion retail career again. Uh, you know, my very it was it was Zara, mm. which interestingly enough was my favorite shop at the time in Poland because Zara was like for rich people mm. and still is in, in a way in <laughs> Poland. Uh, and I had this interview in Zara. I couldn't believe, you know, I could. I was so happy, and I will never forget this interview because this guy uh, who was interviewing me. So Michael. Um, one of the questions, like, what, how, you know, how do you see yourself? You know, how do you see your future in a company here, in our company? And I looked him straight in the eye, and with my with my Polish accent, which I can't even repeat right now, uh, I said something like, "I want your job <laughs> as soon as possible." <laughs> and he laughed just like you did, right? And nine months nine months after he laughed, I took over his position, yeah. which was the fastest promotion in a Zara history at the time. Uh, for anyone without a previous retail experience, which I didn't have. But then again, it wasn't like I was this retail genius because I wasn't, just like I, I'm not a coaching genius, mm. just like I wasn't a trumpet genius. But it was it was the attitude that would make up for, for the fact that I didn't speak language, mm. the way that other people could, uh, you know, I didn't have the best manners, you know, because whole this whole idea of saying thank you and please was new to me because mm. we don't do that in Poland. Mm. It's like, hey, bring me this. Mm. And this is just the normal way we communicate. And I remember the same manager who interviewed me. Uh, no, no, if that was a deputy manager. So that the whatever the other manager. When I became that, uh, when I became that uh, a supervisor first, before I became a manager, he took me on the side and he said, "Michael, um, you're doing a very good job, but you have to say please <laughs> at the end of the sentence." You know, just one. It's the magic word, Michael. Yeah, I'll be like, "Hey, John, bring me this." And people were like, <laughs> they would follow the, the order, but it was like, and it was so funny because it took time for, for me to get used to saying please. So it yeah. would be, in the beginning, it would be like, hey, John, can you give me, uh, uh, hey, John, can you bring me that? Please. please. <laughs> and I would have to remind myself about this yeah. fucking please. And 
and I still it's interesting. But it, that's you know. a, but that's a cultural thing as well. I yeah. think you know it's like I know that. Um, for example, I was I was, I did this consultation with this uh, Victoria, this Russian girl, mm. and I started off by going like um, something like, oh, you know how you know, you know, let me know what's something you want to work on, whatever. She says, listen to me, I don't like this British bullshit. I want you to be direct with me, and it was just like so funny, and I was just like, yeah. okay, yeah. I've got because uh, I lived in Lithuania and I lived in Kazakhstan, and yeah. so I lived in in cultures that are a little bit more direct and less yeah, used yeah. to this whole British kind of. Yeah. So, Michael, how would you feel about if uh, you uh, took off your shoes off when you came? Yeah. Up, you know? so I told you take your shoes off, please. Yeah. Um. So you so you go through this, and then suddenly, at one point, did you just decide to go coaching full time? Right. So. I discovered coaching as a profession at 27, but I had a retail job at the time. I was 5K in debt on credit cards. I was in no position, I thought, to start a business. I started anyway. Uh, it just didn't work out. Mm. you know. I uh, And looking back, it wasn't due to lack of passion. It's just I didn't push it hard enough. Um, I was thinking about that retail job and the fact that I was in debt too much. So... I was waiting, and, and, and this is a problem many people face. You know, we wait for the perfect time sure. to start something. And there's not such thing. When like all the stars align. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there's not such thing like a perfect time. And, and you know, thanks to my uh, a terrific relationship with the universe, what happened was the very shop I was working in, all of a sudden, to everybody's surprise, closed down. And we got redundant, all of us. Hmm. I didn't get a redundant, redundant pay or anything like that. It was very minimal. So it's not like, oh, I got this pile of money. Sure. I was still 5K in debt because the idea was to, to keep on working in retail, pay off that debt, save but up some how, money. How did you get into 5K debt? My credit cards. I'm Just a spender, Mark. I'm, I'll, I'll show so, you. I'll so teach so you. You, were, you were already living the lifestyle that you're living of now course, back then. Of the course. Salary. Yeah, yeah. I always <laughs> That's my problem. You know, if I'm, you know, when I was making 2K, I had a lifestyle of someone making three or four. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. When, I, when I was making 20K, whatever, you know, so it's always, uh, um, it's always a bit of a problem with that. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, I was waiting for the perfect time. Nothing would change. And then basically the universe said, you know what? Shut the fuck up. I'm going to make you redundant. I'm going to make sure you can't get another retail job for the first time, even though you have amazing CV. You can sell the shit out of yourself on an interview. So I got redundant. And I was like, fuck, you know, part of me was excited, but part of me was scared. And the rational part of me won't say, hey, okay, you know, I know what I want to do, but I don't have money. I know nothing about business. I don't have a website. I'm clueless, basically, when it comes to business. And I have no money. And, you know, at the time, now I know some people with money, but at the time I didn't know anybody with money. Mm. Now I'll just call you and that's it. I'm sorted. But back then... There you go, mate. Well, back then, you know, everybody was broke. You know, my parents were broke. Uh, all, you know, you know, you know this whole, the, this whole uh, theory around, you you around the average... Yeah, the five people you hang around exactly. with. Exactly. So yeah. I, was, I was surrounded by people like me at the time. And yeah. so I was broke and they were broke. Um, so, like I said, for the first time in my... In my retail career i couldn't get a job so i was interviewing i was talking to agents you know but the universe was basically making sure i don't get another retail job and i don't spend another few years wasting my life because i'm not ready to take this coaching business full-time so i remember i had this um third stage interview with this designer brand uh on a friday and i was you know over the last 11 years of me being into personal development i was going through different phases and and i was I was focusing on different areas. So I, I remember at that time, I was very much into spirituality and I was exploring spirituality. Mm. I was reading Eckhart Tolle. 
I was reading Wayne Dyer. I went to Wayne Dyer, uh, Wayne Dyer's event, uh, and things like that. And kind of on the back of that, I had a meetup group called Ananda, I think. And it was like, you know, can you imagine me having a, running a meetup group? People come in and we have a group meditation. Shut up. <laughs> I swear to God, we have a we have a group meditation and then we talk about spirituality. <laughs> and I'm like a fucking guru, minus the beard. And I'm like a guru. And it's like Oh yeah. right. no one knows Michael. This just, is this is know. gold. So this is this is this is 2011. Yeah. yeah. This is 2011. And I run this group. So I have this final interview. I show up for this final interview with a director that came all the way from Italy, uh, whatever. And, you know, I come in for five o'clock and say, Michael, we're running late. Is that okay? So I listen, yeah, that's fine. It's just I need to leave at 6.30 the latest. Uh, yeah, I didn't tell them why because, you to know. To run my Ananda group. And I was running a seven o'clock meetup. So I had to leave at 6.30 to, to be, no, imagine being late for your own meetup. Yeah. And you have people coming in, <laughs> fucking ready to meditate. <laughs> and they're stressed out. <laughs> Where's the guru? Where's the guru? Right? So I was like, the sense of responsibility and the fact that, you know, uh, I committed to, to my members. Sure. That, you know, that's what I do, whatever. So the, the interview started really late, 45 minutes late. And I was stressed because I was like, how are we going to do it in 45 minutes? But I, you know, I was like, I made it clear from the start. They were saying, no problem. It's our fault. You're going to be out by 6.30. Yeah. And imagine I'm having this interview. I didn't, have a, I, had, I didn't have a watch at the time, but I could see the watch on the hand of the director, this woman that was interviewing me. And the guy I had a previous interview with was next to us. He was like a country director, whatever, of the brand. Sure. And I'm like, you know, and I could feel how this interview is not going... Like it doesn't look like it's about to end or anything sure. like that, and I'm and I'm stressing and I'm thinking, fuck, okay, but I'm still answering the questions, but it's not the usual flow of things. Yeah. And then at some point, say I say, you know, I'm really sorry, but I really have to go. And she was like, oh, okay, yeah, you can go. And I think that's the very reason because, you know, it was it was Prada, right? Prada doesn't want you to have anything else. Like you know, they they want your fucking soul. And, yeah, <laughs> like if you if you you know, if you don't sign it on the dotted yeah, line. Yeah, it's like what is more important? Like what is it so important that you cannot be late for? Yeah, right. They couldn't understand. And obviously, I didn't want to tell them what it is. Sure. Because I'm running a fucking <laughs> a group called Ananda, <laughs> and it's based on sp on spirituality and meditation. We're like what the fuck? We just want you to sell fucking suits, right? So I didn't tell them. I didn't want to tell them. And I think, I don't know that for certain, but I think the fact that I have to, you know, that first of all, my energy was affected by the fact that I was, I knew I had to leave soon. And and also the fact that I, I dared to say, you know, to the goddess, yeah. you know, the big director. Oh, I'm that sorry, came from, I've got other I have to, to go. Yeah. I think that's the very reason why I didn't get that job. Yeah. And thank God, Mark, because if I did get that job, I could be, I could be, you wouldn't have been here probably. I could be in retail still until this day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I said to myself, I left this interview. Yeah. I went, I, you know, <laughs> I ran my meetup. And there was a spirituality kind of two-day seminar I was going to. A guy called Mojo, I think. Mm. Mojo or something like that. And I remember, you know, going through all this you know, all these things in my head, uh, all these thoughts in my head. It's like, okay, I don't have money. I need a job. But at the same time, I, I really don't want to work in retail and I love coaching. Mm. And I remember I said to myself, they said they're going to let me know on Monday. I said to myself, if I get a job, I take it. If I don't, I stop applying, interviewing, yeah. etc. And I'm going to give this coaching business a massive fucking push. Yeah. Much bigger than the year before, right? Yeah. When I came up with the idea. I didn't get the job. You know, I got a friend, picture in a park, 
you might remember my first picture. I was like sitting, white shirt. I was sitting on the bench in a park. And it was a, a green background. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's my I first picture. I do remember picture. that photo. But so, super serious. Yeah, yeah. Super serious. Super serious, but also looking a bit like, a, yeah, yeah. like an angel. Very misleading, That is right? the picture on the back of your book. Yes, that's there it. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's I it. Remember that. Yeah, so a friend took that picture with his camera. The same friend, Ken, great guy, spirituality buddy, you know? <laughs> okay let's do this uh i know right the same the same friend uh taught me how to build a simple wordpress site and you you see so the simplicity of my website if you look at my website now it's very simple the layout is very simple so actually the simplicity that became big part of my brand Mm. was a product of the necessity Mm. it was a necessity i I couldn't i I didn't know how to build a more complex site so you know i built that site and i just fucking went for it Mm. you know say 20 pounds coaching anyone on anything yeah you know and i just like i just went for it and i started uh you know i was i had my ad on gumtree i had my google ad i i started three meetup that was it i remember you were you were paying like google ads for like london life coach or something like that like yeah i still do yeah i still do you're going militant on the google adwords and i i i currently dominate uh google advertising uh, for life don't they send you like weird christmas presents in the country i oh. wish they did you know they only send me in all these years and i spent i was checking the other day eighty-five thousand i spent with google for the la- over the last five and a half years and yeah. all they ever sent me was a fucking white winter hat that was it that was, i was about to say it was a white winter hat i yeah, remember, yeah, you, I remember yeah. you showing it yeah. <laughs> yeah. i'm like google i never fucking wear winter hats you know yeah uh, and especially white ones anyway so and then there's there's a moment where you you ended up joining the work with Previously, Entrivo, now called Dan, with Daniel yeah. Priestley and the KPI. So that was the first kind of coaching I did for myself, yeah. and it was really good. I I learned a lot. I wrote a book on the back of it. Um, and so you met a bunch of people that you know, the State Club and all those kind of guys. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've I really I've really expanded my network, and and uh, you know, I met lots of people with some money. So now when I need money, I can just call them up. <laughs> I don't need to do it, but like you know, it's it's my you know, I, I often talk about on personal in personal development, we talk about how how our environment determines our performance sure. you know and and how how we become our environment yeah. right so i i was surrounded with this pe- by these people and most of them were more successful than me at the time mm. but you know i what i had i had something they didn't have or some of them didn't have or most of them didn't have i had a fucking attitude they just didn't know yeah. it because there's like oh, there's some guy yeah, yeah. you know wearing some whatever clothes no, you know, I, I, charging I, I, 75 I remember pounds per session the first time I ever met you, I remember because that was a thing about you that came across. It's like you, 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 like you had this intensity, mm. but you also had this kind of like, I'm gonna like this fuck you kind of attitude. Mm. And you know, I, I'm full of myself. I love myself, and I, and I know it, and I own it. And if you can't be with that, then that's a reflection of something you can't be with. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was something that I really enjoyed about you. That, and you actually spoke about this. I forgot where. I think it might have been with Max, but you talked about there was a period of time in your life where you were concerned about what people thought of you, mm-hmm. and you didn't understand why people thought you weren't a great guy or you weren't a nice guy. And there was a phase of that, that kind of that got to you a little bit. Was that? Yeah, was of that course. You know, I, you know, I, I think there's certain things we need to go through and I haven't met anyone. I don't think I've ever met anyone in the twenties who wasn't at least partially concerned about what other people, sure. what other people think of them, you know? And I, I, I think, you know, I'm 34 now. Even when I was 28, 29, I was still concerned. And it's like, hey, it's not like I'm, you know, it's not like I'm trying to say that, hey, I don't give a fuck what people think of me. Of course I do. You know, I, I would have to be a sociopath <laughs> not to care at all. Especially, you know, I care about what my girlfriend thinks of me, what my parents think of me, what people I respect and know and, and, and see as, 
as friends think of me like yourself, sure. of course I care. But when I say don't care what other people think of you, what I mean by that is don't care to the point where you would stop yourself doing what you believe you should mm. do, you know? Because even if someone I love the most, which is which is Olivia, would say to me, you know, uh, you know, you you can't be a I don't want you to be a life coach anymore. There's no way she could make me not do it. Yeah. Know, as much as I love her, so I would listen to her and listen to you advise me. Or maybe you shouldn't do sure. that. Or maybe you should move to another country. Yeah. I would listen, you know. But but then I would have to make sure that I live my life from a place of. Uh, that I follow my own conclusions in life yeah. and I make decisions from that place. Why do you think so many people are worried about what other people think? I think I think it's a it's a, it's a survival mechanism. Mm. You know, we have to, you know, because if we are careless back in the day, now it's kind of, you know, I have access to the global market. But back in the day, if I was a coach limited to working with my neighbors, if I was like, "Oh fuck you, Joel. Listen, Steve, don't fucking, you know, yeah. I would be in trouble." Yeah. And you know, and now you know, if 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 my business went bust, I could still get a job in retail and I would survive. But back then, you could die and your whole family could die. So yeah. I think I think I can't because you know when you look at it, when you think about it, it is so irrational mm. for for someone like me or for someone like you to worry about it so much when we let's say are twenty five. It's so irrational. Mm. It doesn't make sense. You know, and I watch it when I work with uh, my clients, especially in their twenties. It is so ir- not only it's so irrational that the only way I could explain it is it has to be wired. Yeah, it's, it it's actually I, g- I gave a talk last week and one of the Q and A sessions. What do you think? Yeah. Came hundred percent. So I, I think it's because it's in our DNA to be prone to be in group and accepted. Because mm. if we weren't, then you're cast away and then you're in the yeah. wild and you die. Yeah. So I think it's deeply geared into us that it's like you need to be accepted by others, otherwise you're fucked. Yeah. And that's why we're constantly craving acceptance, belonging, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so so I, I'm just going to go back for a second. And then something happened. And I don't know if you remember what happened, but I remember you telling me. Something happened where you started realizing something and it shifted everything for you in terms of your business and in terms mm-hmm. of how much you were charging. Do you remember that? what, what that was? Well, there were there were uh, you know there were a few moments like that, but probably I don't know if that's the one you're referring to. the The biggest one was when I went from charging per session to charging per per program, mm. and that was a direct result of coaching I received from from Andrew Priestley. Andrew Priestley, a, that was exactly a, yeah, a great business coach, a father of Almighty Daniel Priestley, my current <laughs> coach, uh, which we both know and and, and respect. And and it, interestingly enough, it, it it didn't the shift didn't take place during the workshop yeah. it was in a lunch break when i had like informal chat with andrew yeah and i was say and he was saying michael you have to put your fees up i'm like andrew I, I how can yeah. I, how can i how can i ask a thousand pounds for my coaching you know like up front especially you can do this come on like you can't be trying look at you like you can't be charging 75 or 100 pounds per session it mm. doesn't make sense you have to charge the minimum of thousand pounds and I really fucking struggled with it. Yeah. But then, you know, okay, let's do this. And, you know, bear in mind, I've been already coaching full time. So I had 20 to 30 clients at any given time at that point for for a year and a half. Mm. So it's not like I didn't have experience. So it was, it was, you know, I just didn't have the balls. Yeah. You know, and this is what coaching does, right? Yeah. Like we, we empower people. We, 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 we inject that, that self-belief in them, right? That belief in them that then becomes self-belief uh, eventually. And I remember I had three consultations uh, a week, Lined up or something. A, a week following yeah. that 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 you know that conversation with Andrew. And I had three consultations, and I pitched it 
a thousand pounds to all three of them and every single one of them said yes and it blew my fucking mind <laughs> yes. every single one of them said yes it was a doctor there was this polish guy who was working in it i think and there was the the turkish script writer so this i remember like i don't remember all of my clients but yeah. it was such a significant i remember calling my mother and my mother was always she still is very much uh um you know, she was there from the beginning, so she remembers. You know, me coming up with the idea in two thousand and yeah. and eleven, uh, so two thousand and ten, and going full time two thousand eleven, charging twenty pounds, and um, and we just couldn't believe. You know, especially knowing that, remembering that, back in retail, I was I was you know slaving my ass for for two thousand pounds a month. Yeah, you know, doing something I didn't like, having a fucking idiot boss sometimes, and. And working long hours and weekends and you know and, and here and, i and am doing something that i love and people pay me thousand pounds at the time you know yeah and, and and what so what what next and what happened then was it just like exponential from there on where you just decided okay every time i'm going to increase my fees or now that i know that i can i mean what happened because that was about if i remember correctly that was like i want to say a few years ago yeah was that was that a, what was that a few years ago two yeah, years yeah. ago so so that that's uh, me charging thousand pounds for successions after you know this conversation with andrew was the beginning of 2013 that was so it yeah. four years yeah so you know it's you know, as we said earlier, I started at twenty pounds per session, and you know, looking back, for especially for the coaches listening, or, or, or people, or consultants, or people, personal trainers, or any any kind of business owners, which I would imagine most of your mm. your listeners would be, um, you know, you might you might you might take this advice or not. I, I honestly don't care. But hear me out. You know, like I said earlier, I don't think I have uh, a, a superior raw coaching talent. Mm. I know so many uber talented coaches, yourself included. So I, I I don't link the fact that currently, and it's official now, I'm the highest paid life coach in the UK with the fact that I'm necessarily so much better coach than you mm. or anybody else, right? Yeah. But one of the things I've done better than most people to what I've seen is I I paced myself. The timing was perfect. I didn't get some coaching certification, which I never did, by the way. I said, oh, now I'm a qualified coach. I'm going to be charging £100 per session. Oh, nobody wants to pay £100 per session. But there are other coaches charging £100 per session. So I'm not going to go below that because my fucking trainer in the coaching school told me that that's what I should charge. I didn't have the confidence to ask for £100. Neither there was anyone interested in paying £100 per session. So I was charging £20 per session for, me for months. And then when I grew the confidence, for f six months, I was charging £50 per session. Yeah. Then for six months, I was charging seventy-five pounds per session. So, so in five and a half years, I went from a, a, a coach charging twenty pounds per session, which would be the the lowest paid coach in the UK, apart from you know obviously the uh, uh, coaches who charge pro who do like pro, pro bono work, yeah. right? So, but from people that charge, from coaches that charge, that's that's the least you can charge, right? Without looking ridiculous. Uh, even though I'm sure I looked uh, suspicious to some people, like why is so cheap, right? Mm. With the average price of coaching in the UK being 75 to 100 pounds per session, right? So, how do you go from the the lowest paid coach um, in the country to the highest paid? Six years. You give it time. <laughs> Five and a half years. You pace yourself. So you see, I had a full coaching practice from day one. So from day one, from from you know when I built this website and I got my first twenty clients, I never went 
I've never been below 20 clients. Yeah. So what it does over five and a half years, that's around 400, sorry, 4,000 coaching hours. Mm. That's the 4,000 coaching hours I have under my belt. And let me tell you, when you have 4,000 coaching hours under your belt, you can sit during a consultation and, and, and the consultations yeah. alone, I had around uh, thousand of them, so two hundred a year, right? So after one thousand initial consultations, so these three initial consultations, and four thousand followed by four thousand coaching hours, you can sit. I don't care who you are, you can pretty much sit in front of anyone and speak confidently about what you can do for them. And that's something that can only come with time and experience, sure. you know. And is that is that what you think the problem is? Do you think too many people are trying to become coaches and trying to go high too fast, and they're not putting in the work and the grit that they need to build their experience and yeah. they can prove themselves? And yeah, yeah, they fucking arrogantly impatient. Mm. Like, oh, I can do this. Michael Serva is doing it. You know, I've met some some of the loveliest people. You know, they had a kind of. I was at the time when a coach could approach me and say, "Michael, can I buy you lunch?" And I would say, "Yes." That, it, it's not the case anymore, so don't even try. But <laughs> how many you times do you get messages on Facebook say, "Hey, Michael, can I get you? A, can I get you a coffee?" Uh, at least once a month, sometimes twice a month. <laughs> um, you know, I, you know. Listen, I don't blame people for asking, yeah. but they shouldn't blame me for saying. You know what I say now? I say, "Yeah, sure." Uh, uh, choose the time and payment method. Like, can I pick your brain? Yeah, sure. Choose the time and payment method. And so, like, what do you mean? It's like, hey, listen, my clients pay X for my time. Why would yeah, I do yeah. it? Anyway, um, I, I lost the Sorry, name. You were, you, were, you were saying about how people are impatient. They look at you and they yeah, go, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it's like, oh, he's doing it. He's charging this much. So, you know, we talk a lot about modeling. We need to find people who have what, they, what we want. And if we do what they do, we will get what they, what they have. But surely you don't want to do right now when you just started as a coach. You don't want to do right now what I'm doing right now. You want to do right now what I was doing five and a half years ago. Mm. So you want to ask me, what did I do five and a half years hmm. ago? And if you're smart, you will model that. And yeah. if you hustle enough, you will get what I got because I don't think I'm special. Believe it or not. Honey, sorry to disappoint you. I really don't believe I'm special. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, like I don't, I, and like I said, I don't think I'm more talented. I, I, think, I think the thing that people, and one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show is because I think a lot of people who, if they do know you, I don't think they realize what you've done to get here. Mm. And I think this is why this show, I love the show so much, that I get people on the show who may have a certain status, people look up to them, whatever. And then you hear their background story and people go, oh, fuck me. I don't know if I'm ready to put five years and 2,000 consultations and 4,000 coaching hours to get to where you are. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a couple of things I want to talk about because uh, I know we're we're going to be running out of time. One of them is that you met a man in America, and I don't know if you can mention him or not, but you met a man sure. in America, and it really had a massive impact in your life in terms of at least what, what you, there was something about the impact that, that you had or you had or something. Was, it, was there something like that? Um, yeah, so what I consider to be the best coach on the planet, it's, it's not Tony Robbins. Uh, you know, I know he's a, he's a powerful coach, I don't see him as a coach. I know he does coaching. I see him as a as a someone who runs big events and makes lots of money and you know is very competent and and whatever. But it's 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 you know I shared the story how I got into coaching through Tony Robbins. So mm. you know, I'm grateful to him. But I believe that if it wouldn't be him, it would be somebody else. I was just ready at the time. So I have respect for Tony Robbins, but who I really love in my industry and see as the top of my industry or our industry. It's a guy called uh, Steve Hardison. Uh, he's based in he's based in Phoenix, uh, Arizona, and you know it, it wouldn't be true to say that you know meeting him had such a huge impact on me mm. because 
if I met him a few years ago, probably that would be the case. But because mm. I met him quite recently and I've already done lots of work on myself, mm. to be honest with you, it, it felt like uh, meeting my match. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it felt like meeting myself, uh, you know, 20 or 25 years from now, which is how much older he is for mm. me, you know. So it was a, it was a great afternoon. I had an amazing time and Steve is a wonderful man. Uh, and, you know, I know he's a very, very powerful coach. Um, you know, and I'm glad I met him. But if anything, I felt like I'm on the right track. Yeah. You know, and h having this, you know, having this approval from him confirmed that I'm the right track and I like trumpet, I chose the field where I can really be the best mm. because I see, I see myself as a, as a, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a Steve Hardison in the UK, um, uh, you know, in the future. So in terms of income, I'm, you know, I can say I'm already Steve Harrison, but in terms of impact, yeah. I still have a long way to go and I, I, I appreciate that. He's been in the game for 25 years. I've been for five. Yeah, you've you got some, you got you some time. So, yeah. so I hope to be as powerful as he is right now yeah. when I get to his age. I have a confidence I will. Yeah. For people, there's so many people now who want to become life coaches. It's become mm -hmm. like this new buzzword where people attend a seminar, they read a book, they might even see one of your workshops or one of your talks. And they're like, oh my God, I want to become a life coach. It's going to be the end all solution to my freedom. Yeah. I'm going to have more time, more money. I'm going to coach from Ibiza. I'm going to be in Thailand sipping cocktails. What do you want to tell them? Okay. Uh, the, the very first thing I'll tell them is shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then I will uh, go into more detail. Now, um, it's a common knowledge that coaching has a very life coaching has a very low entry bar. Anyone can become a life coach. I became a life coach overnight. I think you became coach a coach pretty much overnight as well. It wasn't a five year process. And you know. no, I did, I did. I trained with ICF and did the whole accreditation and certification, all that stuff. Yeah. So I yeah. went through that whole process. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but anyway, whether it's overnight or one year, it's sure. still relatively yeah, fast, yeah. right? Um, but you know, even. I don't know if that was the case with you, but even people that go for the training, they already call themselves a coach throughout the training. Mm. You know, it's, it's very easy because it's not regulated and anyone can become a life coach. It's very easy to become a coach, and I yeah. confirm that. Now, with that comes a problem. The, so, so, so this is a common knowledge. What's not so common knowledge, and I'm the first one to say it, even when people come to me for initial consultation and they want me to train them or teach them how to make money from coaching, it's the very first thing I say to them, which I'm about to, what I'm about to say now. Yes, it's very easy to become a coach, but it is extremely fucking difficult to make money in coaching. Mm. Extremely. And I yeah. say, listen, whether I, I personally mentor you, you become my apprentice for the next 12 months or not, it will still be hard. It's just if you hire me, it's going to be less hard, but yeah, still fucking hard. Yeah, yeah. And don't think that hiring me and Tony Robbins and Steve Hardison at the same time it's will good. guarantee the results because ultimately... I can't pick up the phone for you. I can't have consultation for you. I can't, I can't deliver the results for exactly, your clients. Exactly, exactly. You know, so you know, so there is a reason why so few coaches ever make any significant amount of money from coaching. And that's not because they don't have what it takes in terms of coaching, because coaching itself is the easy part. Mm. Coaching is easy. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. coaching is easy for someone. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I think, and I, and I just want to add what you're saying is that I know so many people who are like great coaches, right? And like they they've gone through whatever the process, and I know a lot of people who are terrible coaches. But mm. what I've seen systematically is people fail at building a coaching business. You know, there's very very few people I know who make full time money from coaching. Same here. And 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 let alone only coaching. So what I mean by that is that so I do coaching, but also do workshops with corporates. I also work with organizations like General Assembly, Escape the City. 
my girlfriend does one-to-one coaching, but her biggest chunk of business comes through corporate. You know, she goes and does uh, teamwork and, and that kind of stuff. And so it's very rare to come across someone who's fully making money from one-to-one coaching, yet alone making that kind of income. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm very grateful um, that I'm one of these few people. Um, you know, I'm very open about this. This this whole uh, you know, the talk about transparency in the industry, etc. You know, you know, you see these Facebook ads and you see this guy fucking renting the apartment and telling you that he's gonna take you to seven figure level in your business, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, so I, I kind of partially partially, you know, partially I, I, I recognize that partially I like to talk about it from because I'm from a book background. Mm. And just like, you know, black hip hop artists, you know, fucking have this video videos with hundred dollar bills because they're from from a ghetto. And there's part of them that wants to kind of show I've made it, and I recognize there's part of me. You know, there's a, there's a. Do you think there's still, there's still like a chip on your shoulder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm from a poor family. You know, I there was never there's never any significant amount of money in a family. So, you know, like I'm the most successful person in like the, the history of our family. You know, so I know that when I talk about it, you know, I'm just being hundred percent fucking honest here. You know, I know when when I talk about it, part of that part of that is this. But partially, it's a, you know, a massive counterbalance to the fucking bullshit out there when you ask a coach, how well are you doing? And they say, yeah, very well. <laughs> Give me your fucking number. Give me the number. You know, so I'm very open to... like, do you even bench, bro? You know, if you're like, how much do you deadlift, yeah, bro? It's like, yeah, just, just, a- just tell me how much. And, you know, if I ask you how, how, how much money you've made as a coach last year, don't tell me around 50K or around 100K because what does it mean around fucking 100K? You know, you should, first of all, you should know exactly how much you've made, mm. you know, if you're a serious business owner. Yeah. And when you say around, we say, oh, around 100K, like, I will have a problem trusting you. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, and, the, and, the, and there's, there's, there's a few last questions I've got. One of them is that um, I, wonder if you, I wonder if you've noticed it, but there's something, do, do you find that you attract people who come and work for you who, are looking for that kind of confidence that you have or maybe mm. that kind of directness that you have yeah. or that ability to say and you know and we've got out for drinks I've been for dinner so I know that that's that you know you're the same person offline and offline and there's this kind of like what I call intensity by the way is this kind of like excuse me you know we asked for water to, to you know 20 minutes ago we still haven't had it yeah no where's the fucking water yeah and there's but there is that that you've got that kind of energy to it yeah do you think that's one of the things that people are attracted to? For sure. And sometimes people, uh, that's a great observation. And, and, and actually sometimes people tell me, hey, I've been following your Facebook for a while. I want a bit more of that. Mm. I want to be less of a pussy and more of a badass. Can you help me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And especially British people, you know? Yeah. Especially British people. Because, because again, you know, I would still stand out in Poland with, with my way of being, but I wouldn't stand out as much as a standout here. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, among British people, which I love, by the way, you know, so yeah, for sure. You know, for so sure. So what, what's next? Um, so. What about this fucking book, man? You announced oh, this just book. Give me a break, no, no, man. that book that you've been putting on Facebook saying, like, oh, if I get a bunch of likes and comments, I write this book, you get like a hundred comments. I remember you speaking about that book like years ago. Your book yeah. launch. I remember yeah, you yeah, announcing yeah. it. I, I know, I know. Yeah. But I tell you what, so. So what's up? So. <laughs> what a fucking uh, uh, suicide to announce that you're going to publish your second book 
during the speech at the book launch event of the first one <laughs> without even having I had a title I think but I didn't have anything written right but I announced it yeah you did have the title yeah and then yeah did yeah. I have a title oh, yeah yeah you yeah, said, okay. you said it's, what is it it's like take shit no love everyone take shit from love no one love everyone take shit from no one yeah, yeah that was the, it. the art of social dynamics so I started writing right but you hate uh, writing I hate writing I started writing because I said I'm gonna write it and you know I thought it's a great idea uh, and I had you know I have lots of things to say especially on this subject uh, like social <laughs> dynamics and I wrote half of it and then I then I got stuck you know I lost inspiration to write yeah. which I didn't really have in the first place but sure you lost the little, the little that had. I had I <laughs> lost it and uh, who saved me my coach saved me at the time my coach Michelle Zelli uh, a, a terrific woman who is still a great friend I had a coaching session I said Michelle I'm struggling you struggling I've never heard you saying that before what are you struggling with with the, the fucking book that I'm writing what's the problem you know, I told her I wrote half and now I'm stuck. Why do you need this second book for? Or what do you need a second book for? A good coaching question, right? I couldn't answer it. Mm. The reason why wasn't there. Mm. I had a strong reason why to get my first book out because I wanted to be a published published author and I wanted to have something I can give to people. Sure. I'm not going to give to anyone two books, you know, so I don't really need this second book. Mm. And Michelle helped me understand that, and I dropped this idea of writing it. Yeah. Some kind of <laughs> it comes back every now and then when somebody <laughs> says, "Michael, I want this book," or like you asking yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. But honestly, well, it's because you put on Facebook recently saying, "If I uh, if I get a hundred people interested in buying this book, I'll write this damn book yeah. by the end of the year." It didn't hit hundred. It didn't. You no. sure? No. Oh. I, I am. I am. Okay. I, unless unless I, I thought it did. I, th- I thought I thought I saw a hundred comments, and then I, I thought uh, maybe it was your comments commenting on people added yeah, to the hundred yeah, comments. Yeah. No, no, I don't think it was hundred. But it. like. To be honest with you, even if it hit 200, I don't think that would change anything because I was teasing. You know how <laughs> I am. Like, just, you know, I was probably seeking attention. I don't, I don't know really, but it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to count it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it's 100, I'm going to do it. If it's 89, I'm not going to do yeah. it. That so, wasn't the case. And it's not the first time a coach saved you from understanding why you were doing something. Yeah, I mean. The, I mean, to, the talk show, right? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. So, no, no. You're talking about Daniel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh yeah, that's yeah, 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 that's you had a YouTube, you had a YouTube talk show. Yes, yeah. You had the Michael Server show. Yes, that you had for a while. Where it's I, a catchy name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and, and you and you kept you you brought me on the show. Yeah, had a good, great chat. Still yeah. get some great feedback from that. Yeah, and then something happened. Yeah, so you know, at the time I was planning, uh, you know, I had this idea about becoming this high speed life coach, and because you know, coming back to your question about you know what's next for you, I had this most selfish goal, which was to become the highest paid life coach. And I knew that's a short-term goal, um, that that would take me like around five years. And then I have a, I will have a, I had a, and I still have a, a, a lifelong, uh, you know, goal, which is to change the face of the industry in the UK, mm. right? Because I'm very passionate about life coaching. I know many, many great life coaches, yourself included. But the industry is still not where it could be, right? Sure. In terms of people, especially awareness. when you go to America or you go to Australia. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. crazy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I thought, you know, someone's got to do it. It might as well be me, right? Um, so I, I was thinking over the years, I was thinking about different paths of getting there, uh, different vehicles that I could use to, to get there. And, and, and for a while, TV, a mainstream media, yeah, that, that was, was one of them. Yeah. was one of them. Um, t- you know, and to, to kind of illustrate how serious I was about this whole thing, I created a pilot episode of the TV show with the former 
uh, head of documentary department of ITV called Michael Toppin. Uh, I was coaching a girl for three months. Her happiness went from four to nine. Yeah. Like total, tra complete transformation. And everything is recorded. I have the recording, right? But just when we were... Um, just when we were getting to the point of finalizing the edit and talking about what commissions we're going to approach and how we're going to go about it, I had Daniel Priestley on the show, on, on my show, and we started talking um, after the show and uh, he said, what's next for me? And the same question that you asked me 10 minutes ago. I said, what's next for you? I said, you know, a, a TV career. Why? Because <laughs> I, I want, I, you know, I want to, I wanna, uh, you know, that was that was still kind of more based around my first goal, my initial goal, this more selfish goal, to be the best, to be the best, you know, this obsession with being the best. Yeah, because I, you know, I want to establish myself as the, you know, the highest paid, the best life coach in the UK, um, you know, uh, a coach to the celebrities and millionaires and multi-millionaires yeah. and billionaires. And, you know, Daniel's coaching was one sentence, and Michael, millionaires don't watch TV. <laughs> And in, with that one <laughs> sentence, he ruined my entire plan. Yeah. And I recognize it to be true straight away. I mean, it's, it's you know, there's this there's this art, there's this, this kind of Facebook thing that I love, like a little um, uh, thing. It says, um, do you know why there are no adverts of Lamborghini on TV? Because people who can afford Lamborghinis don't watch TV. Yeah. So, you know, I saw that before, then he said that, and I thought... I don't even fucking own TV set. My clients don't have TVs. Like the people I know don't yeah. watch TV. I watch Netflix. Yeah. I love Netflix, but you know, there's no ads, there's yeah. no programs as such. I watch fucking series and movies, right? Yeah. And some some great documentaries. So I was like, shit. And then I thought about how I don't like to take direction from other people. I say, you know, I give direction, I don't take direction. Yeah. You know, I'm not easy to to manage, you know. I, I like I like things to be my way, right? Like you, you, you know, you asked me to take my shoes off, and how did you do with that, right? You know, it's like well, I. Oh, you be begged, you begged me. You got on your knees. I said, Michael, look, yeah, if you really insist, like, if you're going to give me a thousand yeah. pounds, and we'll pretend like it was all your decision. Okay, that's all. Listen, yeah. I'm, I'm the, I'm, <laughs> I'm the kind of motherfucker that you're going to invite to the party, and I'm going to say to you, uh, Mark, can we put the temperature up or down? Can I open the window? You know. Yeah, but that's because you ask what you want. Yeah, I'm I think, just, I think, I'm I think very I, kind of like you know whether whether you get it or not. What you yeah. do, and I think that's what people find I'm difficult to be around, or sometimes yeah. can struggle with, which is, I ask for what I want. My mum's very much like that. Like mm. she'll, if she's in a restaurant, she doesn't like the 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 the, the AC. She's like, can you turn that off? Or she said, can you move us? I, actually, I don't want to drink out of this glass. Yeah. Can you give me a proper glass? Yeah, yeah. Like she just asks for what she wants. Before that's just natural. Yeah. So that's what you're talking to. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you know, it, it, you can ask Olivia. We'll go to the restaurant. Table for two. Yeah. They will take us to the table. I'm like, no, no I don't care where they're taking us. I'm gonna choose my own table. So if I see another table for two that is available, which I like more, I'm just going to, even if we go all the way there, I'm going to go back all the way there. And I was like, no, I want this one. And unless they can give me a very good reason why I can have it, and it's better be good because if it's not, I'm going to challenge it. You know, so that's how I choose to live my life. Mm. And, I, and I really don't see why I shouldn't, yeah. you know, or why anybody shouldn't. It's like, you know, and it's not like, hey, I don't want this fucking table. I want, no, I'm just like, hey, can I have this one yeah. instead? And isn't it funny how when you ask for what you want most of the time you get Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people we're coming to the end of the interview, but I think a lot of a lot of people actually are afraid of asking for what they want. Yeah, you know, I so two kind of quotes on, 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 on this one. It's a very interesting topic, this whole asking and, and, and so 
if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yeah. Yeah. A simple one. And then something Baron Katie um, said. She said, "You can have anything you want in life if you're willing to ask thousand people for it." Hmm. I had I had a similar quote, which is, "You can you can achieve anything in life as long as you're willing not to take credit for it." Oh, interesting. That that's another one. Okay. So before we, I've got a few last questions for you. Sure. Before I do that, um, I just want to acknowledge you uh, for a few things. One of them is that. Um, I got to, I've got to see Michael over the last few years, even though we don't see each other that much, but I've got to see you over the last five years now, almost four and a half years, mm. as you go through your coaching. And I got to see a glimpse into the behind the scenes of who you are, uh, what you're up to. I got to see this guy who started off with this 28 pounds and just went off on this skyrocket journey of, of making lots of money from doing what you love and just inspiring other coaches, um, you know, from your show to yeah. even your private Facebook group that you've created where coaches get on board and kind of get some tips from each other and stuff. Um, and also for being, for being good enough in your skin, so that you can ask for what you want, and that you can stay stand into your into your own thing, whatever that is, whether that people like it or not. Michael is Michael, you know. That's something that I really respect in you. Um, so I want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, what does being unconventional mean to you? Unconventional. Um, I don't want to give the conventional answer to this question. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking <laughs> unconventional you know, when I think about words like that and things like that I think about doing things your way or doing what feels right for you regardless of what uh, a conventional way is or what 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 way that people expect you to do things mm. in is yeah just say you know what well, fuck it i'm gonna do it my way and you know and and, and 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 you know business success is a great example of of something that you know can be achieved in more ways than one mm. and whoever says oh the only way to the only say fuck off the moment you say the only way to do something or mm. to achieve something is this i you 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 have my you 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 don't have my trust yeah because it's, it, I just don't believe it to be true you know there's no one way to to be, become a best-selling author or, or or Hollywood actor or or successful life coach yeah no, I love that what's something most people don't know about you um I'm a big child and I'm very silly it's just uh. Olivia, my girlfriend, is the only person who who sees that side of me. I often say to her, "Listen, I, I will do something silly," and I say, "You can't, you can't say and tell anyone about." <laughs> if, if I, I would say, "No, I would need to show it," uh, yeah, which I want. I would say to her, "So listen, if any of my clients would see this, if any of my clients or prospective clients, especially, would see me doing what I just did, fucking, I'll have no business." <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like, it, it's, it's, uh, you know. I'm really serious, you know. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm serious. I would go to the funeral and crack jokes and make people laugh, you know. Well, I maybe should be kind of more serious. I just, ca I can't. Yeah. I can't, you know. Yeah. And and I, I, and I refuse to be serious. I refuse to grow up, you know. So I'm a big, I'm a bit kid. I don't think it's that obvious mm. necessarily, you know. Yeah. One of my favorite stories of, of you was the day that you told me that your personal trainer told you to. <laughs> to 
drink eggs. Do you remember like to make to do six eggs in the morning? Yeah, yeah. And you were drinking the egg whites in the shake yeah. and you were like, I'm gagging, it's so disgusting. Yeah. I was like, You're supposed to cook them, Michael. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. You know. I yeah. Tr- I, listen, I trusted the guy and I did I was like <laughs> I said, Fuck it, I'm Michael fucking Cero. I can do this shit. And I was drinking this raw eggs and then like, six so, of them. That was the most so single most disgusting thing ever. Uh, Michael, if you um, could leave, like you could write only three last posts on your Facebook p- ever, mm. like no more books, no more, no more talks, no more clients, nothing. You could only leave three posts or a post with three truths on your Facebook wall that everyone would see before you went. What would those three truths be? Oh wow! Okay, can I can I use some quotes as well of other people? It's whatever yeah. you whatever's whatever's true to you. First one that came to my mind is from Oscar Wilde, who said. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, people accuse me. People can accuse me of many things, and 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 and, and I accept that. Uh, not being myself wouldn't be one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm very committed to to preach about the the things that I do myself, um, and and be as transparent as I as I can be. Um, but you know, being myself is something that it's you know it's the story of my life. You know, from yeah. quitting school, etc. You know, and following my heart. So that's that. Then, the world owes you nothing. Hmm. Uh, you know, you you don't deserve anything. You know, you you will get as much in life as you will kind of work for. Um, again using my professional success or my, my personal success, you know, the, the beautiful relationship I'm in, you know, I, I got both through fucking hard work, mm. you know, but it's so easy to look at someone who already has what we want and say, hey, oh, because he's tall, oh, because he has a, such a great taste in shirts, oh, <laughs> because he's so, ch- oh, because he's so confident, you know, but the, the confidence came as a result of taking all of this action, mm. you know, and it's so easy, to your point that you made earlier, it's so easy to, to disqualify yourself straight away from the chance of ever attaining your dream thing because you don't think you're not good enough. Um, so I encourage you guys to, 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 to drop that whole idea and to really pursue your dreams and, and, and get ed- anything you want in life. Um, and something similar kind of along those lines, I could say something like uh, uh, you can absolutely, capital letters absolutely have it all. And again, I'm an example of someone who came with nothing. I didn't know how to make money. I didn't know how to speak English to begin with. I didn't know how to make money. I didn't know how to talk to women. I didn't know how to talk to people, most part. Uh, you know, I was hanging up with freaking artists and then with fucking draggies, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I worked on all of these areas of my life. And then, you know, I'm, I'm very, very happy with where I am. And, and since, like I said, I don't think I'm special. If I can do it, everybody can do it. Mm. And if you get coaching from me, from Mark, or from anybody else who you know you resonate with, uh, coaching will help you to get the faster. Everybody needs a coach. Where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Where do you? What's the best place to get in touch? Very simple, uh, michaelserva.com. And from there, you can connect with me. And I encourage you to connect with me on Facebook. I'm particularly active there as far as social media is concerned. Uh, I have some Twitter presence as well. My Twitter is connected with Facebook then there's a plenty of stuff you can find on YouTube as well. And again, there will be a YouTube icon on my website. There's a LinkedIn uh, as well with my weekly articles there. 
And, you know, if you want to talk, give me a shout. Just don't ask me to, to pick my brains because the answer is no. Michael Sewer, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Mark. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as I did. If you want to find out more about Michael and all the show notes and all the resources that we talked about and all the best moments of today's interview and quotes and so forth that Steph pulled out, go over on markdoos.com forward slash podcast and click on episode number 60 and you're going to get all those juicy resources totally already available for you that's just how we roll at the unconventionalists and as always if you enjoyed today's episode make sure to subscribe to the show over on itunes and leave a rating and a review while you add it it helps tremendously get this show out there to keep on getting amazing guests on the show and we couldn't do it without you in the meantime i would love to hear from you let me know what was the golden nugget that you took away from today's interview and that you want to implement in your business or in your life right now let me know over on twitter at mark Roost and come over on facebook.com forward slash mark i'd also like to use this opportunity to say a warm welcome to Stefan ben to the unconventionalist family and i look forward to having so many more people join the movement but until then remember it's not always easy but it's definitely worth it